Well, as you know, the subjects that we've been looking at is uh, the relationship with the Lord Jesus in different areas of the, the, the Gospels. Um, I want us to be looking at John chapter 3 this morning. It's the interaction with Nicodemus that we'll be looking at this morning. So maybe we could just read that portion together. Um, we're this three areas really where Nicodemus is, is mentioned in scripture and they're all in the book of John. This is the first account where um, we read of him. There's a second account in chapter 7 and then there is one in chapter 19 I think it is where uh, the, when Nicodemus came with uh, Joseph of Arimathea to uh, take the body of the Lord Jesus Christ down from the cross. So there's three instances but we're going to be focusing primarily on John chapter 3, the first account. So we'll read from verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs and that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? and do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know, and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That which, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who, who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment though, that the light is come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, 
that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Nicodemus was an interesting character. Um, we, we learn a lot from just analysing the character. We do that in a lot of them, obviously. A lot of the interactions that we've already uh, considered in the last few weeks, interactions with particular people from different circumstances. Nicodemus was somebody who was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was somebody who knew God. He had an understanding of God as a Pharisee because he knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures at that time, which of course were the Old Testament scriptures. And he was somebody who had studied them, somebody who believed in God, who um, worshipped God in the way that he deemed to be correct according to the laws of Moses. Very strict, the, the Pharisees were. Um, they were also a people who were very critical of others that didn't agree with their um, standards. Uh, with their perception and understanding and interpretation of Scripture. But he was in a powerful position. He was somebody who uh, was a figure of importance. He would have been looked up to. He would have had position. He would also have had wealth. He would also have had respect, education, fame. In other words, if you try and link that into somebody today, he probably had everything that people strive after in life. We know from the fact that, um, that he was somebody who had this position of being a ruler of the Jews. Um, we know that he had wealth because, as I mentioned in, in John chapter 19, he came with Joseph of Arimathea with lots of spices uh, in order to embalm the body. And these were very expensive. So again, you get the picture of a man of wealth. Um, he was able to put this together. He was somebody who had respect because he was referred to as a teacher. Um, the Lord Jesus referred to him, you're a teacher of Israel. Israel. So he would have had the respect of all of the people that uh, he was ruling over and teaching. He was also somebody who must have been educated because you don't get to that position without a good education. And education in these days would have been even just being able to read and write and to able to interpret the scriptures and to explain it to those who were less fortunate than him as far as education went. And then he must have been famous because he came to Jesus at night. So he obviously felt that he was so well known he didn't want people to see him coming to this man Jesus during the daylight because he would have been recognised. So he came at night where he wouldn't be so recognised. But although he was somebody who had all these things, who had a great position, looked up to wealth, everything, he obviously wanted something more. 
Now, in all of these stories, <laughs> I say stories, all of these um, reflections on the, uh, on the life of Christ, they're put in the Word of God for a purpose. That when we read them 2,000 years later, uh, we benefit from understanding it. And so therefore, it's not just a case of, you know, looking at this as a Pharisee and thinking, well, I don't really understand what a Pharisee looks like. Uh, therefore, we don't have these people today, or I don't come across um, such religious zealots uh, like that. Therefore, there's a danger maybe that we skim over this and think, well, that not, doesn't really affect me. I think it does, because when we look at the character and we look at where he's coming from and what's bugging him, um, it's all relevant to us today. He wanted something more, that despite his religion and the power of that religion and the position that he had within the religion, uh, if we call it that, he recognised something in Jesus that uh, was missing in his life and that attracted him. And of course, you, you're getting in this chapter here basic gospel truths. Is uh, you know you go back to your own um, first meeting with Christ. Go back to your own experiences. There is something that has to draw you. You know we often talk about the need to work out our own salvation, and that I mean, or I believe that means that we never should forget our salvation. We never should forget at any stage in our Christian lives where we came from and how we had this transformation from somebody who was in death to somebody who's in life. And we always need to go back to that. Sometimes it's referred to as keep coming to the cross, to keep coming there to see our sins being put on Christ because we can't afford to lose that picture. We can't afford to, to lose the importance of that, that whatever stage you're at in your Christianity, that if you lose sight of your salvation, and in fact, in effect, lose sight of Christ, then we lose our strength, we lose our ability to be of any use to God in our Christian lives. So Nicodemus here recognised that there's somebody in the Pharisee circle who were watching Jesus very closely. They were concerned, most of them were concerned. And again, if you read in John chapter 7, you can see where the Sanhedrin, they got together and they were worried about what he was doing. They were watching him every step of the way. And Nicodemus would have known. He would have known all the facts about what Jesus had done. And that's why he was able to come up and say to him, we have come, uh, you must have come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he knew about the signs. In fact, if you go back a chapter, you read about the time when the Lord Jesus went into the temple 
and he found them using the temple as a place of business and he chased them out of there because this was his father's house and it, it talks about uh, the, the, the disciples remembering that it had been written that the zeal for your house would consume me so the disciples recognized it the Pharisees would have recognized it that this man he was from God because he was acting in a way with authority and power and purpose that nobody else had ever done and he was fulfilling scripture now that scripture was something that Nicodemus knew very well he knew it and he would have heard if he didn't actually see what happened in the temple he would have heard about it and he should have been able to fit that in that this man is, a, is from God because he has prophesied in scripture that he would have known and so he came and he said, he said to him that um, I recognize that you are a teacher from God, but not the teacher. So he hadn't quite got to the point when he was recognizing that Jesus Christ was of God. He was recognizing that he was from God. And of course, this, this is something that mankind has struggled with for years is that you know you listen to people teaching you need to listen to God you can have a teacher but you need to listen to the teacher and of course the teacher said in our prayer was that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us that's referring to Christ that the Bible is the Word of God and that the Lord Jesus in his life he did everything perfectly in line with the mind and the will of the Godhead and he was perfection so everything that's written about him is inspired and therefore when we read the scriptures, we are reading the, the mind of God. So therefore, it has a power and a place in our life that's way or should be way beyond anything else that is in our life. The power of the scriptures, the power of Jesus Christ, the word becoming flesh. Nicodemus wasn't there yet. He could see in this man something special. He could see in this man uh, worth his while getting up and trying to find him and conversing with him and coming to him as he did at night. He's certainly somebody that, um, although he accepted who Jesus was, um, he was somebody that was looking at what he was doing. I think you remember the, the time when um, John the Baptist uh, began to question uh, and he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, you know, are, are you the Christ or 
Are you the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? Do you remember the Lord Jesus' response to that was, look at me. Effectively, he was saying, look at me and look at what I'm doing. And you answer the question. And, you know, as you would expect from Christ, it's the perfect answer. If we all have doubts, and how do we get over these doubts? How do we find out the, the truth? Is that we have to come to Jesus, and we have to see what he's doing, and what he's said, and his actions, and then decide. Other people can tell you what they think, and um, that can have a, a level of interest and importance. But the importance is your and my relationship with the Lord and our interaction with him so that we decide that it becomes a personal thing. In order to accept fully um, this uniqueness uh, as being the only begotten Son of God, we need to find Jesus ourselves. And it's nice to listen to other people saying that they found him and to listen to people's um, um, conversion stories. They are always interesting. But you need your own. And your own is more important. And it's your own that you have to keep remembering and going back to. Um, this negativity they had about this uh, basing his knowledge on, on what he heard, um, he's a teacher, and so he needed to have that, um, uh, that personal uh, interaction. When, when he was, um, John 7, when he was d debating uh, in the Sanhedrin about it, he was trying to argue that point about the importance of at least listening uh, before you make up your mind uh, because the other Pharisees were dismissing Jesus based on uh, the, the word of others and, and sometimes the, the word of others were factually incorrect and so therefore they were struggling to understand because they were not coming, as Nicodemus did, coming to the man himself. So again, it's just the, the, the big importance that we have, as we know from experience, some of us, and uh, the, the, the first interaction we have of believing in Jesus and believing in his authority um, is crucial. And that becomes the foundation in our Christian lives that we just keep going back to and keep building on and uh, focusing on. When the Lord Jesus um, said to him, the first thing that he said to him when he'd uh, been confronted with this um, fact that, you know, I've watched your signs, your, your signs are amazing, uh, you're an amazing guy. Um, you must be from God. Maybe the natural thing for anybody would be, oh, thanks very much, you know, very good of you to say that. 
appreciate. But the Lord, of course, is way above that and could see the heart, could understand where he was coming from and what was lacking. And so he goes straight in and um, says to him that what seemed, would, seemed to us to be odd thing to say, truly I say to you that unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, that um, you must be born again is one of these amazing gospel expressions <laughs> that we've heard, many of us, in all our lives. We actually hear it in, in secular uh, expressions, which people now use as a, as a generalism, meaning uh, it's to, to, to rehash something, to reinvent something, or to try and get your sales team to produce a bit more uh, uh, better results, you know, you, you say, they, they use that term of let's go, oh, well, you need to be born again, you need to be, uh, renew yourself. Which of course, the sad thing about that is it takes away the impact of what was being said here. That The impact of this must have hit home uh, for the first time uh, really hard. You know, Nicodemus is pulled up short here. You know, you think, what, what on earth does that mean? You must be born again. And of course, he, he thinks, maybe like most of us would have thought, <laughs> what are you saying? You have to go back into your womb of your mother. I mean, that's ridiculous. And of course, he's thinking fleshly. He's thinking humanly. He, but that's exactly what Jesus wanted. And of course, he wanted them to think because it gave him the opportunity then to say, not only must you be born of water and the Spirit, and if you don't, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Now this, of course, would have hit home to Nicodemus because they believed the people of Israel were the kingdom of God. They believed that they were unique and they had a birthright. Uh, and of course, you can many ways you can understand where they were coming from because Israel were the people of God. Um, but that didn't give them an automatic entry into heaven. And of course, they're coming here and the Lord Jesus appearing and then saying you have to be born again, you have to be born of water and you have to be born of the Spirit. What does that mean? And again, when we read these things, we have the opportunity and the ability now, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, to read these things and to understand them. Uh, to Nicodemus, it was a head-scratcher, and to all of those who were around him. But it, the Lord had the tremendous power to be able to, to say these things in such a way that just drew people in and made them want to ask more questions, made them want to try and think, what does that mean? explain it. To be born of water, of course, it does take you back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was teaching a, a, a baptism of preparation. Um, there was a need for repentance and the people had to prepare themselves. And it's the same today when we are talking about salvation, that there needs to be repentance before there can be forgiveness. And that's what John the Baptist was teaching. 
And that's why he was baptizing. It wasn't being baptized into the spirit. That was not John's um, uh, responsibility. He was saying, get baptized because what you need to do is to repent of your sins. So recognize that you're filthy. Recognize that you're a sinner. Uh, this physical baptism is one to effectively be telling people and be saying, I am repentant. And so that's where the water comes in. That there is a need when you're talking about salvation um, is to recognize you're a sinner. And of course, this is basic gospel stuff, isn't it? You recognize you're a sinner. Uh, because if you don't recognize that, how can you receive the Holy Spirit? You have to recognize your condition. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. Uh, to be baptized by water. It was, you need to be that, so that you're born again, you be born of the Spirit. Because then, once you're repentant, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you ask for forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit enters into you. And then you're baptized by the Spirit. So it's by water and by Spirit. And that was what, the, and, the, and he explained that as being a little bit like the wind. We've had a bit of that lately. <laughs> uh, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born the Spirit. I think, uh, you know, the, the recognition that we are born of the Spirit is something you don't see. You don't see the Spirit, but you should see the results of the Spirit. And that's just like the wind. You know, when, we, when the wind blows, you can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind's doing. You can see the leaves rustling. You can see the, the branches of the trees swaying. You can see people's hair getting blown. You see the results of it all. And of course, again, the Lord Jesus is teaching Nicodemus this. You know, this, this, this is something, this is what it's like. This is reality that somebody who receives the Spirit, uh, they should know it. They should feel it. And people should see it as well as you. So again, you know, this is, this, this is new stuff then, which is just basic stuff now, which we should be um, accepting. Nicodemus is still... I was going to say you're getting um, cornered here <laughs> because he's, he's, he's still, he's listening to this, he's analysing it and he's scratching his head still a bit because he then says, uh, how can these things be? Nicodemus is obviously somebody who, having been cornered, like a lot of us who think we're clever and he would have thought he was clever because everybody would have kept telling him he was clever. And eventually you believe it if people keep telling you. Uh, and, and so here he's, he's not just going to accept this quickly. He's going to do what most of us would do and say, well, let's ask another question so I can think a bit more and think of how I can get out of this or how I can give an answer to this. And it's a delaying tactic. And you'll know it yourself when you come to me when you're discussing with unbelievers. That's a common response is just people ask questions 
and ask more questions and ask more questions till you eventually you're drowned out <laughs> or you run out of time or they get away from you or whatever it's a it's not receiving the word it's just pushing it away and this is what Nicodemus was saying are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things the Lord Jesus was critical of somebody who had studied the word as Nicodemus obviously had who understood the Old Testament scriptures and the Pharisees were experts at it I mean these people spent their, their most of the uh, daylight hours studying or teaching or debating that was what they did and so they, they knew the Old Testament scriptures inside out but the Lord Jesus is critical and saying look you don't even know this basic stuff <laughs> and you think hey you know that's quite that's quite scary in some ways but are we not like that is there not the danger sometimes that we can quote scripture that we can uh, uh, turn up our Bibles to wherever, and uh, we're reading it a lot. But really, how much of it is seen in the way we live? How much of it is the outward expression of Christ? And maybe this is where the Lord Jesus is saying to him, do you not understand these things? It's one thing to be able to find them. It's one thing to be able to recoat them. It's one thing to know the laws of Moses, but do you understand them? So that when you teach them, you're teaching in a way of understanding that's pointing towards the Son of God. In Romans 8 and 16, it says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I think it's the importance that we have is considering its meaning for us. When we study the scriptures, the importance of not just looking at it as something that's for other people, is that this is living and active. I think we've said it so many times that uh, we sometimes hide behind ignorance. Um, it's a good escape for us to be able to just say, well, you know, that other people are more intelligent or more gifted or more knowledgeable than me. Uh, therefore, um, I'm quite happy in my ignorance. It's almost as if our ignorance is something that we'll be able to stand before the Lord and say, well, uh, it's your fault. You didn't actually give me enough knowledge he didn't give me enough brain power he didn't give me enough ability therefore i wasn't able to understand this it was all pretty complicated well just go to romans 8 and 16 again the spirit i gave you my spirit the holy spirit indwelt you what's your excuse how can you say you're ignorant when you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Nothing to do with education. Nothing to do with brain power. It's to do with the Spirit.
in Nicodemus, watching a time and quickly, there was an arrogance about him. Um, when the when the the Lord Jesus had um, emptied the temple, and um, the the disciples, even they, as as fishermen, understood the Old Testament scriptures, and he could immediately go to Psalm sixty nine, and was able to think of the zeal for your house has consumed me. Um, they saw that, and they saw the way he was acting, that this was a man from God, and that this was prophetic. And if you see that sort of thing, you know, how can you step back and say, how can these things be? Uh, and of course, this is where Nicodemus was, but he was, this was getting churned around in his mind and his heart. You don't believe. The problem was unbelief and this with this I'll just close this is the unbelief that we are constantly coming up against but don't fall into the trap of thinking that's just for the unbelievers <laughs> uh, that of course is my, when it comes to the gospel and you're teaching you're preaching to somebody who does not believe at all then of course it's relevant but there are unbeliever Christians unbelieving Christians because when you take something as basic as the story of Noah, that um, Noah is told in a, a place out in the country that God tells him to build an ark. And why did he build the ark? He built it because God told him. It's as basic as that. He believed. The easier thing would be to say, well, I must be misunderstanding you. There's no, there isn't even any sea around here. And what's the point, you know, there's, there's no evidence of any sort of uh, problem in the world or, or storm coming up or no evidence of a flood. Even when he had built the ark and there's still no evidence of a flood. And the animals start to come and he puts them in and then God says to him, now you and your family go in. Why did he go in? He went in because God told him because there was no evidence. So, you know, when we, when we think about belief, you know, that, that something as basic as the story, with a basic, as maybe simple as the story of Noah. And you think the amazing <coughs> faith of the man. That, that is what God is saying. You and we only need in a very small amount that not just for our salvation, but for everything else that we read in the scriptures, everything else that challenges us is to be saying to ourselves, what does God say? If God says build an ark, would you build one? Or would you think that's ridiculous? And then when he says get into the ark, would you have gone? You know, this is Nicodemus has been challenged with this here. It's basic problem of unbelief. You don't believe. Even a, a tell you fleshly things, things that you can see around you and you don't believe. How can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? It has to come down and say, well, do you believe this man is from heaven? And that's what it's basic. If the answer to that is yes, then you'll believe what he tells you about heaven. 
if you don't believe he's from heaven, you probably won't believe him. And if you don't believe, you're condemned already. So, the story um, at the end, really, the, verse 18, he says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name. You look up the, that in the Greek, and the word name means the authority. And that was what Nicodemus was being challenged with, is that he had to get around it. You have to believe in my name, my authority. And of course, that's where we are. And when it comes to the challenges of life, or should we do this, should we do that, should we go there, should we come not, where do we worship, who do we mix with, all the problems, if you like, about our Christian life, it comes down to belief, as to you believe in the authority of the name, do you believe in the authority of scripture? Do you believe? Do you give him the place of the name? His name. That that overrides everything. Doesn't matter what everybody else says. It's what he says, what the word of God says that matters. Shall we pray?